every second of your life. just in my life alone how many times I made you wait in line how many times I put so many other silly useless needless things in front of you God I beg your forgiveness I pray you'd have mercy Lord help us to rise and try again Lord let us from this moment on so dedicate and consecrate our life Lord our our thoughts our very breath to your service to your will to your purpose Lord, we pray you would lead us like your word says. Lord, left, right, straight, whatever you want us to go, let us only speak your words. Let us only speak, think your thoughts, Lord. Let us only do your will. Have mercy upon us, Lord God. We pray you would help us. Have your way in this service tonight, Lord. We so appreciate the worship service, Lord. You sweep it in the room like that and letting your love shine, Father, from, from wall to wall, Lord, from, from amongst your people here tonight. What a mighty and good God you are, Lord. How blessed your people are to serve such a wonderful and living God. Lord, I pray now as it comes to the ministry of your word that there be no doubt. Let there not be one speck of doubt in this building tonight, Lord, for your word is a dissolver of doubts. I pray you would take these words, Lord, and quicken it to the heart of every person in this room, everyone that would watch the recording, that it would just grab their heart so strongly, just like Cleopius and his friends said, my heart has burned within me because I know it was him that talked to me. Not me, Lord, but you. Lord, lift us up in that higher realm tonight, Lord. Whisper your sweet words of love to your bride, Lord. Increase our faith. Inspire us. Give us more courage. Help us to fight harder than we ever have before. Help us to believe more than we ever believed before. Help us to let us walk closer than we've ever walked before. We surrender and dedicate and consecrate all that we are to you, Lord. Lord, I can't imagine how long you've been waiting for that. Before you ever built the world, before you built water and air and every hydrogen molecule, Lord, you've been waiting for us to, to, to be here, to come through all we've done so we might express your attributes. Your word said that all of creation is groaning and awaiting for the manifested sons and daughters of God, Lord. Help us to dedicate ourselves more thoroughly submit more strongly and surrender more wholly to you tonight we love you Lord Jesus Lord we want you to be our sole priority Lord nothing else matters nothing else matters Jesus we love you with all our hearts and we pray you'd have your way here tonight your blessed and precious name amen 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 God bless you this evening an absolute joy to see you in the house of the Lord tonight. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt God has got such wonderful and good things for you tonight. <clears throat> if you will just focus in for a little bit, it, it'll give you strength, it'll give you courage, it will help you love him more. Amen. Let's start tonight just in John chapter 16. We'll read just one verse. 
Tonight will be part two, <clears throat> excuse me, of the changing of our atoms. Verse 7, chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. God bless you tonight. You may be seated. What a joy, what a privilege to serve our Lord Jesus. Amen. Do you love him tonight? Amen. Have you been in prayer for the, the services starting Saturday night? I would recommend that you get here early. <coughs> uh, there are going to be quite a few people here. So get here early. Get your good seat. Uh, most importantly, spend as much time as you can the next few days in prayer. And, and it won't just be a blessing to you, but it'll be a blessing to the person sitting beside you. You understand that each one of us, like I said, like a magnet, you fight all demons all day long. And you walk in there and sit down, you're probably still in a fight. You're still trying to cast it off of you. But the more you can dedicate yourself, you'll be a blessing to the person sitting beside you. Those demons will be scared to stay on that person when they sit down beside you. And they're just in a fight, too. They're not possessed. They're just they're in the same fight and battle you are. But if you can spend time in service and prayer for those meetings. I promise you, they will be nothing less than supernatural. I'm excited. I'm truly excited. I, I, can't, I can't imagine what God has in store for, this, for us this weekend. We've got uh, brothers and sisters coming from at least three different states, from Texas, Oklahoma, and Missouri that I know of, and we'll just see what all God has in store for us. But every time he comes around, something good happens. Every time. Every time. Every time he comes around, something good happens. Here we sit tonight on an uh, ordinary Wednesday night. You've had your ordinary run-of-the-mill trials and tra tests and troubles of the week, and you fought your fight so far this week, and yet here you still are. You've not given up. You've not backslid. You've not turned away from the Lord, yet still you are right here where you were created to be, serving the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> you can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. You can't, you wouldn't last, I wouldn't, we wouldn't last one second outside the grace of God. There's too much opposition. But with him, you can do all things. All things. There is nothing that God cannot do. Anybody disagree with that statement? No thing that God cannot do. There's nothing that he can't accomplish, that he can't bring to pass. There's nothing that he can't do. I'm not talking about changing. I'm not talking about lying. I'm talking about any supernatural thing. You're standing on a paradox right now. Not just the building, which is miraculously given, but on a world that just somehow miraculously all these years still stays right here. Still stays right here so that you might be here, so that you might serve the Lord and express his attributes. <coughs> Excuse me. Tonight will be part two in the changing of our atoms. Change in our atoms, part two. As we were looking through this Sunday, we, <coughs> excuse me, trying to establish a good baseline to work ourselves up to the rapture and the quickening of this body, of this spirit, of this soul, so that we might just completely leave here, translate it, disappear it, come up gone, missing one day. Anybody looking, looking to attain such a promise, such an, such an evidence of who you are? An evidence of who you are. There won't be one serpent seed take a rapture. There won't be one unbeliever take a rapture. There won't be one make-believer take a rapture. 
If you take a rapture, it'd be because you are a believer, because Enoch was translated that he might not taste death, that God took him because his faith pleased God. Faith means he believed God. You come on down a few thousand years, a, a thousand years ago, you come upon a son of his named Abraham, a descendant, a descendant, a descendant. And his testimony was that he believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Keep working down, keep working down. Uh, the prophet would tell you about your day that such a word that's been restored, that that word is not a workup, it's not an emotion, it's nothing like that. It has an emotion because you're an emotional being. Yes, it, it affects your flesh because it affects, it affects your soul. Anybody live just in their spirit and their soul? Nobody walked in in just a body, in just a, without a body tonight, right? You all walked into these bodies. These bodies, uh, it was said about Elias that, that he was a man of like passions, just like you. He was a passionate person. That means that he had emotions. He had things that he had to war with himself. And, and, and you yourself have passions. You have emotions because you're an emotional person as far as your body. Some people aren't. Some people are very stoic. But you'll generally find something that excites them and something that will get them fired up. It's not always things of God. But uh, I would pray that that would become the majority of the things that excite you over things of the world. And that just tells you where you are in your walk with the Lord. If, if you go from, well, that really fired me up to, well, now that's okay. I want to know more about this. Something else has caught my attention. Something else has grabbed my heart and something else is burning like I can't explain. And, and that's the revealed word of God. And, and in this day, like I said, this mystery that's been opened, that's been fulfilled and, and wrapped up to that Revelations 10, 7 prophet that God has used and spoke through him from the Revelations 1, the seven spirits of God used in that man that surrendered and yielded himself to God to bring this that we have now. It creates not just faith, but it was, the, it was classified. If you find a classification, um, you'll find different safety measures. Class 1, class 2, class 3, you'll find different levels of things. This would be described as not just a faith, but a super faith. I don't know what you'd describe uh, of something, some kind of an essence, some kind of a substance that it would take to change your body. Maybe you would consider that something normal, run-of-the-mill, everyday, no-big-deal faith. But Hebrews 11.1 said it's a substance. And it's a substance. And that substance will, will, will so change everything in the mix. It'll change everything in there and bring about his purpose and his will. I shared a quote to the uh, WhatsApp group last night, Tuesday night, Monday night, today's Wednesday, Monday night. And a Christ, the mystery of God revealed by the Ram was talking about the, the, the very heart purpose, the, the, the very wish, the very will of God and, and the end goal of how all these things work out. And he, he made a statement about Christ being the head. And we understand that Christ is the head of the body. The body, the Bible teaches that so thoroughly. Christ is the head of the body. And you are members of that body, members in particular. Now we sang that song earlier that, that I'm glad to be a part of. I'm glad to be a part of that body of Christ and, and you don't join that body. You understand? This isn't a put your name on the book. This isn't a shake the neighbor's hand. You can only get in that body by being born into it. That's the only way in. You can't just say, well, oh, I believed and now I'm the body. It don't work like that. Being a seed of God is only one part. You can have a, a good, the best green bean seed ever, ever produced. You can have the best potato seed or tomato seed. And as long as it sits in an unquickened condition, it's only just that, a seed form. 
But once it gets quickened, now you can see the fruit of it. I couldn't tell when it was in my hand that it was some type of super tomato seed, some super growing 14 foot tall, you know, tomatoes bigger than a plate. I couldn't tell it when it was in my hand, but when it hit the, fruit, hit the ground and started producing fruit, now I know what it is. So like I said, it's got to be quickened. You can only get into that body by being born into it. This is the question Nicodemus had. How can a man enter back into the womb? It's not possible. Jesus said, that's not what I'm talking about. Yes, you see the type of water, blood, and spirit. That's always those three types. You'll always have those. You have the same mirror when it comes to your spirit, being raptured, being translated, being caught up into heavenly places, being quickened in that kingdom of Christ. Water, blood, spirit. That's why baptism is so important. Baptism does not save you. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward work. And if you don't have that outward expression, no one walking by, well, I guess there's no inward work. Well, I apologize. Well, I thought you were going to be a Christian, but you know the Word says that this will produce these results, produce these effects. I, I want that. The Word says that. I was reading my Bible the other day, and I come along what he said. I want that right there because that's going to be for me. Then you have the, the, the baptism by the blood. You have that, that salvation, that redemption that he takes and he dips you and washes you in his own blood and, in fact, looses you from sins. Now, I don't know how you think the Lord Jesus is. Maybe you think that he's the kind of God that he only can clean you up to a certain date, that he only gets you just till the day you give your heart to the Lord, just the day you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe he can only clean that good. See, I serve a different kind of God. I serve a God that, that he's done put out one sacrifice and it's so thorough that he scrubs you and cleans you up till the day of your redemption and the translation of your body because it's his shed blood. Now, this is no license to sin. This is no, no excuse to live a dirty, smutty, immoral life because that fruit will always look like the word. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do that because I love him, not because I have to, but because I love him. Again, a fruit of love, a fruit of life. It's still establishing a baseline to your purpose for you to express an attribute of what he wants for you. All of these things are coming to fruition. It's called the consummation of all the ages for a reason. Consummation is a marriage term. It's a marriage contract or a covenant. If you want to look at it like that, your mind will go back to Abraham and that covenant. You always, my mind always jumps back to that one because he could swear by no one greater. There was no one greater for God to swear by. He looking around, no, no, no. He'll die, he'll die, he'll lie, he'll cheat, he'll change, he'll do this, do this. No, no, no. I go by someone who can't change, can't lie, can't die, won't pass away, can't wear out, don't get used up. But he's always the same, and he said, I say it will happen. Amen. You're fruit of that tonight. Amen. You're fruit of that tonight. And there's where you find the negative aspect. Your enemy's always beating you up. See, you did that, you won't make it. See, you did that, you won't make it. See, that's proof right there you ain't got it. See, that's proof you ain't got that. No, when he's talking to you, that's proof you're doing something right. Even if you're falling down, that's proof that you're doing something right. I, I can only imagine that he don't have nothing to say to any of his people. How many times has he beaten them up and telling you, oh, you lost now, you lost now, you lost. You think about that. Other people that can go drink all they want, smoke all they want, cheat, lie, all these different things, murder, with no regard to any end, any punishment, any judgment, any condemnation, but yet you can't even tell a tiny white lie without it burning you up inside. 
I got to make it right. I, I feel like I can't take another breath unless I make it right, right. I might die right now if I don't make it right. Why do you feel that way? These other people don't. They're called natural brute beasts for a reason. No life there. Again, your attributes, there's life here. There's life in you. Still struggle, still have things you got to, Lord, help me rise and try again. Help me rise and try again. How many times in a day do I have to forgive my brother, Lord Jesus? Uh, the Bible says seven times seven without work. He said, I said 70 times seven. Now, you also are a son of God, whether you're just talking about your brother, your sister, but you yourself could be forgiven 490 times in one day. But I would hope that if you're needing that much, that maybe you're just now putting your foot up on the road. Maybe you're you know, brand new in it. I, I feel like that the more you eat, the stronger you get. Uh, that's just what the word says. The more you eat, the stronger you get. Uh, again, this doesn't leave you exempt, but you should not be falling 490 times in one day. I feel like there's times in my life where I might have fell 490 times in one day, but praise the Lord, I'm not doing it now. Not perfect, don't get me wrong yet, but God has made a change. Not Sam Parker made a change. God made a change when he saw fit to make a change. I say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, in this that we, we open with here tonight, the only way you get in that kingdom is through divine in, in, invitation. The only way you get into that kingdom. You don't get up and say, you know what? I want in there. It's going to happen. Make it so. It don't work like that. He comes for you. No man ever sought after God's. No man ever sought after God's. God seeks after man. Go, man, you won't find a, uh, it ever said anything different of the sort. But he said that I will come to you. I must go away in this flesh. I'll go provide this sacrifice. I'm that propitiation for sin. And now I will send back my spirit in the form of the Holy Ghost. And then I can dwell inside you. I can birth you into that kingdom. And then you and me can work out daily as you die out and let me take control. It's expedient. We read that to you on Sunday, and we hope to maybe get back over to Romans 12 about that transformed. As a living sacrifice, your body is the least you can do as your reasonable service, which means the very least you can do is to die out daily. It's the least you, come on now, somebody say amen. It's the least that you can do is to die out daily till you'd be a living sacrifice as a reasonable service under the one that bought you and kept you out of hell. Come on, least you can do, the least we can do. Well, I'm busy. No, no, you think about the alternative. Don't let it get common to you. Don't let it get, don't let it get just normal to you. It's not normal. It's not normal whatsoever. Now, in this invitation, <clears throat> in this Christ being the head, we were kind of ending up on, to, on Sunday. We was trying to work out the, the first Bible and the second Bible, and we kind of got stopped on the second Bible as we just finished up there in Exodus and, and that and the, as far as the altar and to the Lord. And, and just going to back up just to catch a couple things real quick on that second Bible that God had Enoch built there in the land of Egypt, in the edge of Egypt as an altar unto the Lord. That altar was meant to be a type of, your, a type of our Bible. And, and again, I don't have the capacity to read it. That's not my Bible. This is my Bible right here. This is your Bible right here. But if you look back in that, you can see something, and I love this, that, that stood for 45 centuries, 45 centuries, you heard me right 40 
five centuries and it's still standing today. It's the only marvel of the other age, of the old, the old world. It's the only thing left standing. Everything else of man has turned to dust and it's gone. But yet somehow this thing is still standing. Built when everyone thinks they were all rock, you know, uh, Cro-Magnon or, or uh, Dark Ages or not Dark Ages, but, you know, just, just, just ancient times where they were just dumber than rocks. That is proof they weren't. That is proof they had technology we don't have yet. Completely the proof. Oh, no, you're just being silly. Well, then take any three nations on the planet and build that now. Impossible. There's not, a, there's not one cutting uh, technique or a laser that's available right now in military or private standard that can do what was done there. It is impossible. There's not a nation that has the wealth to do it. See, the stone that's in that building, I think you can, uh, you can build a wall four foot tall. I think it's two foot, three foot wide, something like that, stretched from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean just from the rock that's in that one building. Is that 2,000, 2,500 miles, 2,800 miles, something like that? What is it? Something like that from one coast to the other coast. And I'm not talking about trying to look for the shortest section. No, no. Again, it's a, it's a magnificent feat. And now, again, all of these things are just, I would hope that, that it would instill a love and a hunger and thirst for more of this because you can read this. Now, it's easy to say, okay, I can see something that stood for 45 centuries, and that's, that's an, it's a feat of engineering that's impossible, and all that God did to build them, but then it's so easy to overlook all that God built, did to build this one. All the people that gave their life to build this one. All the people that sacrificed sleep and food and imprisonment to put this together through the inspiration of God, and yet we'll let it sit so many times with dust just covering it right up. Did you see where I put my Bible? Have you read it this week? I won't even say today, but this week, this month, this is the enemy's attack, and we're told to always be watchful and not be easily taken out by him, but to be not ignorant of his devices. You can't fight him if you don't know what it says. You won't be able to stand. <clears throat> but in that, in that second Bible, it wasn't capped. It did not have a headstone. And there's a, there's, a, there's a very specific point to that, and we'll make that. And as far as how it's built, you can take a very similar uh, look to how specific and technical uh, uh, the way it's all designed and put together as versus how you, as a bride body of Christ, is so perfectly fit together. Uh, we only look at ourselves as, well, I'm so-and-so. I was born this day. I've had this test, this trial, these things like that. You, can't, you don't have the ability that God does to step back because we only look four-dimensionally. You, your view is only four-dimensionally. He has at base minimum a seven-dimensional view that he can step back and say, I see how they were shaped by that trial. I see how they were shaped by that trial. I see how they were shaped by that test. I see them getting stronger. They're getting stronger. They might think they're getting weaker, but they're getting stronger. Somehow, they're still standing no matter what Satan threw at them. Perfectly fit, lively stones. So in that, not being capped, and we'll get into our day because, as it was, that third coming had not happened yet. You had what God had in the end garden. You had all that was lost through the fall and the sin, the curse. But even still, as that prophet was allowed to build that tent, that, that altar unto the Lord, you still had not had the price been paid at Calvary. So there's things that couldn't be wrapped up. It could be prophesied too, but it could not be wrapped up in fulfillment. Now, one thing that's interesting that in the king's chamber... 
which you have a queen's chamber and a king's chamber, that in the king's chamber, I think it's in the king's chamber, that there's a, a, a coffer in there that is, I think, to the exact uh, cubit, um, uh, it's not centimeter, but the exact, it, they call it something, to the exact cubit measurement area, so a, a square amount of area as the Ark of the Covenant. It's to the exact. It's not the exact size. It's similar, but if you add up all the cubit square inches or centimeters, how you want to look at that, it's the exact, almost to the exact of the Ark of the Covenant that Moses was told to build. Now, it is, what, what really strikes me about it, it's in the furthest western point of the king's chamber. The furthest I'm pointing the wrong way. The furthest western point of the king's chamber. Now, the reason why that means something is that the prophet would tell you that as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, so is the word of the Lord as it moves across the world. And you've seen as where it started and it's branched out and now through all of those ages, it's come all the way out now and moved all over the furthest west coast. It can't go no further. It should be back to where it started. It's to the furthest point. That's where the light is shine. You, it's no coincidence, and hopefully we'll get to the picture of the cloud here in a little bit, but that was in the far west is where it was, and you lay out the, the actual outer court, inner court, holy of holies, and you can see is all this types just as perfectly as can be. Just to, it, It'll blow your mind how, again, 45 centuries ago, that was a, a good type of, and then that was, and, and then you know, 4,000 and 3,000 and 2, and yet here we are. You know, to me, that sounds an awful lot like the same one yesterday, today, and forever. That sounds an awful lot like the same one. Now, the reason why I want to take so far back and, and to get you a good visual aspect of, of what I'm meaning in this point, that way that you realize now because you know how particularly important Hebrews 13, 8 is. Right, everybody understand how of so much particular important that verse, Hebrews 13, 8, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you can get that thoroughly cemented and ingrained in your mind, and when you look backwards at everything that was done then, then you can be able to see with what he did there that he's doing right now. On your Wednesday. On your normal old average Wednesday, as you went to school, as you went to work, as you stayed at home, cleaned your closet, cleaned your bath, whatever it was, you were still sitting as an attribute of God. You're still in the presence of the same Elohim God. Because he's the same. He's still the same. Amen. I believe this. Go back real quick and let's just catch that Romans 12, 1 and 2. Just as we just make sure we refresh all of our minds. Thank you for the water, Joseph. I don't know if I told you that. Now we did. We read this on Sunday. These two verses in particular. <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So I'm going to pause for just a minute. You read what I, you, you can see what I read. You heard what I read. This is Paul saying, asking you right now, that this is what you must do. Are you ready to do it right now? Are you ready right now to step up and say, I bring my body as a sacrifice? Are you saying that you're ready in your walk with the Lord? Most of you would be honest, would say, no, not quite. And then that question would come back, why not? 
Uh, you know, Hebrews tells you about the sin that does so easily beset us. Satan's got all these little things he wants to hamper you, hold you down. But he's a liar. He's a con man. He's a bluff. He's defeated. He has no power except what you give him. So I ask you again, why are you not ready? Why am I not ready? I let things of life, I let things that mean nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, the prophet told you that we're not waiting on God. The rapture is not waiting on God. He's waiting on you. I can prove it by the message if you believe the message. He's not waiting on God. God's ready. All that's ready to go. He's waiting on you to get ready. We just quoted to you there out of Romans that all of creation is earnestly groaning, waiting for the adoption, for the manifestation of that adopted son and daughter of God. And you look at your own life, and, and again, I'm just as guilty. I have, I have days that I struggle. I have times that I'm like, Lord, forgive me. I gotta, let me try again tomorrow. I just didn't do nothing today. I'm just as bad as can be, but God lets you get back and try again tomorrow. And he understands that. He understands the, the things you struggle with, but you got to keep trying. you got to keep trying. You can't get mired down. you got to keep... That's why Paul would say, I'm going to press toward that mark. I'm going to press as hard as I can. I'm going to grab that sword, and I'm going to make it. No backup in me. No quit in me. No give up. No negotiating. There ain't no working out territory. Okay, Satan, I guess you stay over there. I'll stay over here. That ain't no bride of Christ. That's a make-believer right there. See, a bride of Christ goes in and kills every giant in the land. Where are they at? Where? Okay, I'll be right over. No negotiating. There's no quarter given. It's only destruction for the enemies of darkness. The, the darkness, the enemies of uh, the, arm, the, the armies of darkness. Only destruction. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Well, I like this. I want to do this. No, you can't do that. Jesus said you can't do that. You cannot love that and God. You cannot do that and love God. It's not possible. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That does not come by getting a higher education. You don't get a better scholarship. You don't get a better doctrine. No, it comes through a revelation given by the Holy Ghost. And he takes and he cleans everything up inside. And he who gives revelation and wisdom and understanding the knowledge of him puts that in your mind, which now your mind can understand it. You're not just, oh, what's this mean? What's this mean? Do we still see him as a glass darkly? Are we waiting for this? No, no, no. It's ready to go. You're ready to go. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Wait, wait. He didn't say me, right? That I got to prove? No, my neighbor, my, you, you. No, you prove, right? You're reading the same Bible I am. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How are you going to know what's acceptable to him if you don't get into the will of God? The prophet would say that you're washed by the waters of the word, but if you don't get in the word, how are you going to get washed? If you don't get in the word, how you, you know, the devil knows this. The devil knows. Why do you think he fights you so hard from reading your Bible, from spending time in prayer? He knows that it makes you stronger. He knows that it reminds you of who you are and all that he is. Come on now. Think about that. Think about that. I uh, would quote it to you, Revelations 21 and 22. Just going to run through something. Just refresh your memory. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. Uh, John is given that vision of that city. And, and you find, as he's told, you'll know, come look, and I want to show you the bride of Christ. I want to show you the wife of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John's response was, I turned and I saw this city come down out of God out of heaven. 
Again, come look at the bride. Look at the, the lamb's wife. Come look at her. And in that, he turns and looks a city that come down from God out of heaven. So keep all those things in mind. For Revelation 21, verse 22, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the lamb are the temple of it, and that city had no need of the sun, neither the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the lamb is the light thereof. Revelation, skip down to verse 27. And you have this promise given. You have this promise given. There shall in no wise. That means no circumstance. That means no negotiation. That means no no skipping in, no cheating, no, no sneaking in. There's no wise going to enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We also read to you on Sunday, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 16. <clears throat> there shall be a highway. There shall be a highway. Uh, you find that in Ephesians. You've been gained access. You find a way in. You find a way of salvation. You find a way of redemption. Or to keep on coming with that. Not just salvation. Not just redemption. Not just healing your body. But translation. Translation. There shall be a highway for the remnant of his people. There you go. Eleven sixteen. <clears throat> for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria like as it was to Israel. Skip down to chapter 19, verse 19. Now we're back to the prophecy, the, what he's talking about, Isaiah, there about the, the pyramid that Enoch built. In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. In that day, in that day, in that, you know, here we are, you find in the book of Revelation, John tells you, John tells you, I was caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day. You find out the scripture. Remember, on that day, and in that day, and in that time, when this happens, when that happens, we just told you we're at the wrapping up, the consummation of all the ages. And here you are 45 centuries later, and she still stands. 45, there ain't nothing on this planet built by man that's still standing 45 years later. Again, you're still here. Let the wind, let the rain, let the robbers, let the thieves, let the armies. It ain't going to take you out. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. And there shall be in that day, there shall be an altar of the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border there of the Lord. That's Enoch's pyramid. That's the second Bible. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt for they shall cry in the Lord because of the oppressors he shall send them a savior and a great one he shall deliver them and the Lord shall be known to Egypt the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day shall do sacrifice and oblation yea they shall vow a vow unto the Lord and perform it so this is not just for 3,000 years ago was it 800 before Isaiah prophesied 800 years before so not just 28 2900 years ago that this was talked about you have that you, you have what we shared that with you on Sunday what the Egyptian book of the dead their history says that 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 there so that would be in 21 something BC that the most powerful nation on the planet was took out one night by seven shepherd kings without a fight so powerfully they exercised such power and authority that it shut them down flat they give up without a fight they give up and surrender the most powerful nation, so you know about that one through alternate means of history. I said, I'm not saying that's Bible. I'm saying that's what they say. That's what the people who had this done unto them said. 
So you got that then. Now let's speed up to, we were reading to you on Sunday out of Exodus 3 and 4. I don't know if we made it to verse 4, chapter 4 yet. But then you have God bringing that Exodus there and God stepped into Egypt. He done told uh, Moses that, I, that I'm going to go down and I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to bring them up here. He said, I've heard the cry of my people and Jehovah says, I am come down. That's what Jehovah tells him. He says, Moses, listen to me. I've heard the cry of my people, and I am come down to deliver them. Moses says, praise the Lord. How are you going to do it? He said, I'm sending you. Moses starts negotiating, backpedaling, so much so it made God mad. So the Bible says that the Lord's wrath was kindled against him. He said, just go. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of that too. I'm very guilty of that. The prophet will tell you that when uh, God calls a ministry, he calls them at birth. In this world, it makes it known. He doesn't call, you know, you're 30, you're 40, now you can go. No, it was called at birth. And I've told you many times that I ran from that calling for a long, 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 long time. But God eventually got done with it, and he changed my life. And I appreciate his mercy. But I look back, and, and even uh, I've shared that with you, even on my own life, and the three things that God used to let me, where well, I'd have no way around, no end around, no, no bargaining, no, well, that wasn't me, or that wasn't me. It was out of the message, Why Christ Speak, out of 1963. And it was in that sermon, and I've shared with you what God did for me to get that book into my hand. I've showed that before. I walked into a room. It was laying face down. He told me to pick that book up. I picked that book up, read a couple pages. It had nothing to do with what I was looking, wasn't looking for it. But, but you understand. And then, and then in the reading of that, God's dealing with Moses, God dealing with Moses, three things out of that book, several, several pages apart. I, I, could, I, had, I had nothing else to say. I, I had nothing else to say. There was no more. That's not Sam Parker. That's not, no, he's talking about Sam Parker right there. So you see these things, you read what he says, and, and I'm just as guilty. Here we are 4,000 years later, 3,000 years later, what it is, and I'm just as guilty. I, I must just be a man just like Moses was. You must be human just like Moses was. You must have struggles in your life, Lord, don't mean me. You don't mean that i got to do that. You don't require that of me, don't you? He requires everything. And I just read it to you, it's the least you can give. Everything is the least that you can do. It's the least that you can do. <clears throat> but as we, we shared that with you there, you know, in Enoch's day, in Moses' day, and he steps in there, and he, he so utterly whoops the most powerful nation on the planet, and they were, <clears throat> hint, hint, called Egypt at that time. At that time, called Egypt. He so thoroughly whoops them that he even kills their king, kills all their firstborn, kills all their crops, kills all, and all these different things. He said, I'm bringing my people out, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. And I'm going to prove it to you. Now, you find the pattern of God in everything that he does, even with Moses going down there with three signs. Moses going there with three signs. You have the rod thrown down, becoming a serpent. You have the, it doesn't say left or right hand, into his bosom, pulling out and being leprous, being white and leprous, and putting it back and being healed. And then you also have him stepping in with all those famines and then turning the, the Jordan to river, river to blood, turning it all to blood. God, even he had three pulls of his ministry. And you see the prophet of your day having three poles of his ministry. Now, in that three things that God uses, and you'll always find God using three things like that to get a hold of you. You'll always find three things like that to get a hold of you. You think you have one thing come along, it'll happen. You know, well, that was a coincidence. You have something else come along and happen, 
That was a coincidence. And the third thing, can I just not talk about it anymore? See, same God. We, we, find, we, we see this in him, in Moses. We see in our prophet of our day. And you find yourself right there in that same canal, that same channel, that same walk with the Lord. And we have the same struggles they did. I'm so glad I serve a very patient and merciful Savior. See, I can promise you beyond the shadow of a doubt that I should have been thrown to hell a long, long time ago. I can promise you that without a shadow of a doubt for things that I've done. But such supreme divine mercy changed that. And I'm thankful with all that's within me. With all that's within me. And I will never undervalue that again. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> now, I love the books of Peter 1 and 2, and there's so much depth in those two things. And it makes sense because he, he was told that that rock of revelation, that, you know, thou, Peter, that little stone upon that rock of revelation, I'll build the, te- you know, the, the, the temple, build the, the tabernacle, build the city, the kingdom of God upon it, and all of the gates of hell cannot come against it. Can't, they can't, can't win against it. They'll come against it, but they can't win against it. See, you're never going to be um, exempt from Satan coming at your body. You're never going to be exempt from Satan coming at your spirit. You're never going to be exempt from that. You will always be an open target. But there ain't enough. He just ain't got enough. And as long as you stay out in that outer court, just your foot one side or the other and won't go in, you can get beat all to pieces. Well, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. But if you'll walk right up in there where you've been bid to come, because no one gets in there without an invitation, but once you get in there, it's a done deal. 1 Peter chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now, as we go through these three, six, seven, and eight verses, uh, these three verses, I want you to understand and pay very, very close attention to how it's worded. It doesn't see, say that he won't die. It doesn't say he won't get sick. It doesn't say he won't take a body chain. It says he won't be confounded. Why would that be particular? Why would that be of a, of a point? Because Peter was standing there when Jesus said that that thing, that antichrist, that spirit of the devil would deceive the very elect if it were possible. But it's not possible because I just read to you out of John 16. He said, I'm going to send someone. And if you'll let him in, you won't be deceived. You won't be deceived. Well, that's because I kept him. No, no, no. He did that. He did that. And it's interesting. The verse right above your lively stones. Your lively stones right above us. He said, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. Elect means he picked. He picked. If you've ever voted for anybody, you go down there and you have one, two, or three choices, and you have to pick one or the other, and then that becomes your elect. I choose this. That means that when he picked you, he chose you. Not stuck with, not, oh, that's all that's left. No, he chose you. Elect, and now you also find what he thinks about you. Man, I just wish they, I just, oh, no, no. He said they're precious. 
See, that's a, a, an interesting way to describe something. Not many people use that word in our common, everyday, ordinary vernacular as precious. It's, it's considered more old, and most people are going to different words. And, but it means not just as a term of endearment, but it, it means to my heart is enveloped. My heart is, 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 uh, is, uh, is invested. You understand? I'm invested. I love them. Not just, oh, you'll come or go. No, no, no. They're precious to me. You, you, let's change that word to priority. Flip that word precious to priority. What would it mean to you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the priority of the Lord Jesus Christ? What would that mean to you tonight? Would you, if you're sitting down and you see, would you sit up a little bit straighter? Would you lean in a little bit? I'm what? I'm his priority. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Did we not just read this to you out of John 16 where he was saying this? That you will not be confounded. <clears throat> when he comes, when that spirit comes, he said, unto you therefore, which believe that he is precious. Now, you've got to equate the same thing about him. You know, you've been told all of your life what you mean to him, but now you've got to have the same feeling about him. You've got to express the same attribute about him. He's my priority. Well, then, you, what happens if you're told that you chunk you up in this furnace of fire? Chunk me. What, I'm going to put a bullet to your head? Squeeze the trigger. All these different things. No, no, he's my priority. He controls my very breath. Do you understand how serious that is? If you really believe right now that he controlled your very breath, you would understand beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are not owed the next breath. Amen. You're not owed it. It is his grace to let you take the next one and then the next one and the next one, and he's got every single one counted until he's done with you. They're all counted. <clears throat> unto you, therefore, which believe that he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. It's made the head. The stone that they didn't want, that they didn't want him. I don't like what he says. I don't like his laws. I don't like his rules. It's all commandments. It's all this and not. No, to those that don't want him, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Again, italicized, even to them which stumble at the word. Again, this is weird how Peter's describing this. You're using the word confounded, and now you're using the word stumbling at the word. Why would we stumble at the word? Who can come in the first thing of your mind, think of a place where someone stumbled at the word? Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, or you have no life in me, no part in me. Whoa. We're going that way. There was nothing in them to believe. Nothing in them to believe. But they were religious? Were they not? The, the 70, the 70 that Luke 10 talks about, that when I was casting out demons in his name, the 70 walked away. <clears throat> Stumble of the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Being disobedient also unto they were appointed. They're disobedient to the word. The word says do this, they do the exact opposite. God says obey, do what I say. They said no way, just like Cain. Just like Cain. Cain's told if you'll only do what Abel did, I'll accept you. Cain says nope, I'm going to go kill him. You want to go kill him. Turn over to Zechariah chapter 4 with me. 
This capstone. And the reason why we're making a note, of course, uh, to point that out, uh, the, the particulars of that capstone coming down. Always lose Zechariah in there. Is because in that second Bible, it was never capped. Now, to most people that don't understand, they just simply don't understand that, to be simply said. Goodness. I got to start getting me some dividers or something. Or at least use the ones I have. That would probably help me. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 7. <clears throat> now, we've not gotten. <clears throat> um, We've not gotten into, made it down to Exodus 4, verse 4, chapter 4, verse yet, and I pray that we do, but God has a way to measure. God always has a way to know what is right and which way to go. And God, you'll find it all through Scripture, all through prophecy, God has a way to go. You're, well, I don't know what God wants. No, God's got a way, and God's happy to show it to you. And, and we'll, get, we'll get to that Exodus 4 about a rod. I asked Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses so maintenance easily says, a rod. And Monday, just Monday, was the anniversary of 1933 of what Brother Brown saw in vision of that angel coming down with that measuring stick, setting their own spring straight and showing how many feet of higher water would happen months before it actually happened, but Monday was the anniversary of it actually happening. But an angel come down with a measuring stick and said it'll be this high. And that's in our day. That's showing that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we'll get into this in the scripture where you'll see God has always done this. He's always shown a particular way to measure. Because again, in this second Bible, every measurement is so incredibly important. Down to the centimeter or pyramid cubit or pyramid inch, however you want to consider that. Hebrew cubit, pyramid inch. That, that every single thing means something. Every single thing means something. Now you'll find with children, we use, Peter used that word disobedient. As children are learning to be obedient, children don't, aren't born and poof, they're, they're obedient right away. Wouldn't that be handy as a parent? I'm sure it would have made me a better child for sure if I was obedient right off the bat, but you learn to become obedient. Now as a parent, we'll just take that as an example because all of us in here have parents that, that ever, a parent will tell you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And a lot of time your first response is, human is why 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 and you a lot of times won't agree with the answer given so you're like still going to jump out and go do what you want to do anyway that's being disobedient to what you're told but the reason why if it's a good parent will tell you not to do something because they know the reason why whether you believe it or not whether you believe it or not, they know the reason why. Don't touch that stove. Don't play ball in the street. Don't drive blindfolded at night. Don't, all these different things. You understand? Why? 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 But God has a way to do things. And as long as you do it the way he says, you will always end up where you come from. Amen. When you don't do it as he says, you end up off in the weeds, you're backslid, you're, you're all over the place. <clears throat> but Zechariah chapter 4. We're at verse 7. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 7 so I answered Zechariah chapter 4 verse 7 I answered and spake to the angel I answered and spake to the angel that talked to me saying what are these my lord now these are worked through those candlesticks and the candlestick of gold and the bowl and all that was done and he said I answered and I spake to the angel that talked to me saying what are these my lord then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. 
unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. It was not in the, the wind. It was not in the tornado. It was not in the earthquake. It was in that still small voice. Elijah's day, still small voice. Elijah was the second rapture of the Old Testament. You know, everybody understand? He took up with that chariot of fire. He was not. God took him. God took Elijah. God took him. He was not. You don't see him again till the Mount of Transfiguration. Him and Moses are standing there. Moses, the resurrected Moses, is standing there getting instructions, instructions for their part in Revelation chapter 11. <clears throat> not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 7, here we are. Who art thou? Who art thou, O great mountain? Who art thou, O great mountain? Now, if you take right there and pull out mountain, because there's so much type in the Bible about you being the mountain of God, you being that Mount Zion. You're not Jerusalem, you're that Mount Zion. The Mount Zion is the bride of Christ. Now, let's, let's pull that out just a minute and replace that with that great pyramid. Just, just as we're talking. If you were standing by it, you'd say, yeah, it's a mountain. Man-made, but you would guarantee it's a mountain. You know, they've got technical specifics, how high that a mountain's got to be for it to be called a mountain. The verse is between a hill and a this, and you know, to be a mountain. So I wonder if it meets that actual mountain as far as whoever said that. But <clears throat> who are thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain. He shall bring forth the headstone, therefore with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, thou become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone, the capstone, the, the, the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected, thereof with shoutings. So it makes two particular points right here. They're not whispering and they're not texting. It's a shout and it's a cry. A shout and a cry now that's very specific wording shoutings and a cry now first thessalonians 4 when it's using that to talk about the rapture you have the shout the voice the trump the shout the voice the trump you have the shout of the message of malachi 4 going forth you have the trump of god being sounded the shout the voice the trump that voice as you find that in the Bible, uh, so many times it's worded as the voice of many waters, as the sound of many waters, as a sound of, of a great multitude, but it's meant to be the voice of God speaking. Shout, voice, trump. Shout, voice, trump. Crying, grace, grace unto it. <coughs> grace, <coughs> excuse me, grace unto it. Everybody paying attention? You understand where we're at right now? You, every scripture that speaks of the groom, speaks of the bride. Every scripture. And the prophet told us, in Christ the mystery God revealed, and if you haven't listened to that 30 or 40 times the last month, you should go do that. It'll change your life. It'll ch there's so much packed in that one sermon, you, you will not get it in the first 50 times, I promise you. You will not get it in the first 50 times. There's so much prophecy in that, what God is speaking right through that man. It's it, it just unbelievable. But he said that when the seals were opened, when the capstone come down, when the headstone came forth, or let's say the line of the tribe of Judah stepped forward, that grace, grace was proclaimed, that he was crying out grace, 
that here's mercy. This is where so many people get tripped up. But I thought if he leaves the mercy seat, there's no more mercy for me, for my kids, for my grandkids. You don't understand what he's saying. He's untold you for those whose names are written on that Lamb's book of life, that that price is paid, that the sacrifice is met, the exact requirement is done. So, if the Lion of the tribe of Judah has now stepped forward to claim the rights of all that was healed, sealed back in that book, and steps forward, and now you see yourself standing here, every scripture that speaks of the groom speaks of the bride. Because as he come forth, you come forth. And we've said this many times. John was impressed with everything that was seen. He was impressed with the lion. He was impressed with the lamb. He was impressed with the city. All those things. But you don't get a a response elicited from him until he saw himself there. And when he saw himself there, everything changed. He goes from being just a scribe to what he's seeing to being a part of the play. To being in the wheelbarrow. To being seeing his name written on the book. That's me. And we, we kind of talked about that Sunday, the, the simplicity of a prophet of our day that comes along and tells that little story about a young, a young boy from the country never had a mirror in his house and goes to town to visit a, a family member or, or a friend or something like that. And he goes upstairs to the bathroom or something like that, rounds a corner, and there's a mirror sitting there, and it shocks him. He'd never seen a mirror before. And he, he's like, there's a little boy in the house. I didn't know he was here. And, and he's looking at it, and he's waving and doing all these different things. And after a while... After a while, he comes to the conclusion of, hey, that's me. Oh, that's simple. Ain't that simple? Ain't that simple? You always think of all the, I shared that with you about every parable. You won't take a rapture without every parable that Jesus spoke. Even to something so simple there, you step back, that's me. Right now, that's me. We talked about how that, that what you do with someone that's an amnesiac that's lost their memory, don't know who they are, that you take them back to things that are familiar, trying to jog their memory, and you know this is where you used to live, and this is the car you used to drive, and these are the clothes you used to wear, and these are the friends you used to have, all these different things. So you take the, the bride of Christ and walk her back through to see her husband, to see herself in the Scripture, and she's like, wait a minute, this, you aren't just telling me a story. You're not just telling me of something that happened thousands of years ago. That's me right there. That's me right there. That's me right there. Christ is revealed in his own word. And guess what? So's the bride. So's the bride. Now, <clears throat> turn over to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 33. Chapter 9, verse 33. And this is the very last verse in the Romans chapter 9. It's the very last verse. And it's verse 33. As it is written, and we, we, we share that a lot about how the Scripture will throw out little, little phrases. I want to catch your attention. Heretofore, I beseech you, pay attention, keep up, don't look away, don't get distracted. Listen to me right now. As it is written... Oh, yeah, in the book, the book that I love, in the book that I see my name in, in the book that I learn all about my husband, that I learn about my maker, that I, love, that I learn about my Lord Jesus Christ, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone 
and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. This stone, this rock of offense, this, this, that, that whomever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, lay in Zion. I lay in Zion. Now, to the world, to the unbeliever, to those who want no part of them, it's obviously a stumbling stone. It's a rock of offense. The word offends those who are not in him. The word, no doubt, has offended us in our lives past. Wait a minute, that means I got to change. That's a little bit, of, that kind of hurts my feelings, that offends me. But a seed of God will change whatever he requires. If he says that, that's what it is. I don't care how much it hurts or what he says. He says that, that's what I'm going to do. I don't care what it does to my life. Everything must change to line up with his word. But those who don't have that, that same response of Cain, you find the same one there in Balaam that went after the love of money, that went after anything adverse to what God said with such strict instructions. Cain heard the voice of God saying, just do this. He didn't, you know, get a mass group text. He didn't get a strange spam email. He didn't hear it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who they wrote a letter. You know, those things. God spoke to him and said, if you'll just, you understand, there's no more, there's no more twisting or wondering or does God, what does God want? No, God says, I want you to do this. And he says, mm-mm. It's a, it's a rock of offense to them. Now, this scripture directly ties into Revelation chapter 10. If you'll turn there with me. And you cannot be changed in your atoms unless Revelations 10 has happened. Cannot be done. You can't do this on your own. He said he's prepared for himself a bride without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. He has prepared for himself. He's prepared for himself. This rock, this stumbling stone to all the world. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. Another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. He had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. He cried with a loud, he cried, you know, we just talking about this over in Zechariah 4. He cried with a loud voice. As when a lion roareth, and when he had cried, not when anyone else cried, but when this angel had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices, just from his cry. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer verse 7 but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God should be finished The mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. He hath declared. Now, Charity, if you can pull up that picture from 1933. Uh, We don't have the actual picture of the pillar of fire coming down. But I can at least let you get a good visual idea. I don't know why people didn't think to take a picture of the end. They're probably scared to death. 
You know, when he come in the room there in 1950 in Beaumont, um, Houston, Texas, you had people passing out from the fear of the ball of fire moving through the room. You had other people reaching up trying to, in Arkansas one time, they tried to jump up and grab it. I can't imagine the response it would have elicited. If you can get it up there. The Ohio River, 1933 Ohio River. Sorry, I should have been a little more specific. Now, we only have pictures of him baptizing people in the river, but you can get a pretty good idea. <clears throat> now, the first time, uh, once, the first time you, you actually uh, come to an encounter with John, you, you've been given John the Baptist, the one that uh, you, the Bible talks about as far as what John the Baptist, who he'll be, that Malachi 3 prophet, what John the Baptist will be. You have about his birth. You have about him being dead in the womb. And then the name, the Lord Jesus Christ, resurrecting that body, that name coming across the lips of Mary to Elizabeth, resurrected a dead baby in her womb just by her speaking the name, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, name him Jesus, but her saying that name brought him back to life. So you have him there. You have Zechariah, his dad had, had been told by an angel that you'll have these things you'll have this child he doubted in his heart and because he doubted in his heart his tongue clave to the roof of his mouth so he could not speak for what nine months until the child was born they come in to dedicate the child elizabeth tells them we're going to name him john and they tell him no you're not that's not the name of any of his ancestors that nobody's been named john but how there they look at zachariah and say what will you name him he takes a piece of paper and says his name is john and immediately his his mouth comes unopened where now that he can speak so you find Zechariah then right after that Zechariah is murdered in the temple he's murdered between the gate and the altar how's the scripture word that from the the the, the gate and the door the altar and the door something like that they murdered him John goes to the wilderness. John is in the wilderness. He's there. His mom passed away. She's old. His dad is murdered. And you find that he's out there. He's eating locusts and wild honey. And that's how he survives eating that kind of food. The next time you find John is on the banks of the Jordan baptizing. On the banks of the Jordan baptizing. And he's prophesying with them. He's talking to them. And he's telling them about these. I mean, he just walked right up these religious leaders and confronting them just harshly and they're saying well we have abraham to be our father he makes this statement he points at the rocks in the middle of jordan and he says you say that you have abraham to be your father i'm telling you that if your life don't line up with the word that god can take of these stones in the bottom of this river to raise up be children the sons of abraham and they're like what is up with this guy but he's standing in the river baptizing 1933, again, we don't have the picture of the actual pillar of fire coming down, but he's baptizing the 17th person in the river, and a, a pillar of fire comes down out of heaven. There's another woman. She's over in a little rowboat so far out. There's like a 1,000 people on the shores. You, I wish so bad they had had smartphones back then. would have had you know, 1,000 good, clear pictures of it. You'd have had footage. It's the reason why, because you walk by faith and not by sight. I understand that. And God still vindicates his word. I understand that. I believe all that. And the prophet would even tell you about being there in 1950. He said, it's better for you to look at that picture and believe it now than you've actually been in the room. He said, because if you'd have been in the room, Satan would have told you that it was a trick of your imagination, that it was some kind of light, and he'd have made you doubt it. Despite the 8,000 people in the room that saw it. 8,000 people. They took pictures of it. They have it. It's, it hangs, well, it's in a filing cabinet in Washington, D.C. now. But this ball of fire comes down from heaven as he's baptizing the 17th person. I don't know if that's the 17th person or not, but baptizing the 17th person, the, the voice comes out of heaven. It says, just as John the Baptist forerun the first coming of Christ, your ministry will forerun the second coming of Christ. 
There's nobody standing around with a megaphone. Nobody's got earbuds in. Nobody's going to know. Everybody that was there said, that come from the sky. That come from heaven. That was a voice from heaven. They heard it. I heard a voice from heaven saying, just as John the Baptist forerun the first coming of Christ, your ministry will form the second coming of Christ. Now, that is true in so many ways. Now, we just talked about John being there on the banks of the Jordan. He's baptizing these people. John says, you know, the Messiah walks up. He's telling them, they're asking him, are you that prophet? Are you that Messiah? He says, no. He says, no. You find William Brown in Revelation 19 and Revelation 22. John wants to bow down. John, the, the beloved, wants to bow down and worship this angel. He says, don't worship me. I'm of thy fellow servant, the prophets. Don't worship me. They're asking John, are you that one? Are you that prophet? Are you this thing? He said, no, no. Are you the Messiah? He said, no. There's one that's coming after me whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unbuckle. Not even worthy to unlatch this one that's coming behind me. And as he's speaking to him, he turns and said, that's him right there. That's the Messiah. That's him right there. Just as John the Baptist Forerun the first coming of Christ. Your ministry will forerun the second coming of Christ. 1964 of Eastern, the message of the rising of the sun, Brother Brown pointed in that cloud and said, that's your Lord right there. Revelations 10.1, come down. That picture was taken February, we'll get to it in a minute, February 28, 1963. That picture, scientifically proven, clouds don't form up there. It's too high. Impossible. Impossible. Clouds do not form up there by any scientific means. Does not ever, 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 I got a fevers. Ever, 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 ever. You still would be ever, ever, ever happen. Ever, ever, ever happen. So you have this right here happen. 1933. This prophecy comes forward. His ministry starts. God starts moving in it. He's already been moving in his life because God calls, again, a prophet at birth. Just looks like a minister. He's God's moving in his life. The man had him give his heart to the Lord. Even as a young child, God's speaking to him. You have the Ohio Bridge, all those different things, different prophecies, different visions. Yet in his life, he has no clue what's going on. He goes to church. They tell him God doesn't do that anymore. It's of the devil. But every time I see a vision... This person's life is better. This person, they're healed. They're healed. They're healed. And I'm nothing contrary to the scripture. Not one place. And God vindicated and vindicated and vindicated. Don't get off, off, off my course there. 1933. Now, let's go to the picture of 1950. Sam Houston Auditorium, 1950. We were talking about this Sunday about the debate. Elias, we was talking about that Sunday, about that debate that Brother Ram had been preaching in town. I can't remember if, um, I can't remember how long he was there. If he was there a week, two weeks, he's holding these conventions there in, in Houston. And the amount of people that were healed and God changed their life was unbelievable. The amount of people, the amount of testimonies that come out. Not that one just yet. That's on the cloud over his shoulder. That's not the one that was actually vindicated by the FBI, but it's still the same political fire. But um, 1950. The pillar of fire above his head. I don't know what year the other one was. Anyways, um, so they'd had uh, this Dr. Best that was a Southern Baptist convention that was putting ads in the newspaper that said God does not heal. The days of miracles are past, that God does not do this anymore. He said, the man is a charlatan. He should be run out of town on a rail, and I should be the one to do it. So he kept trying to egg Brother Bram into a debate. He kept trying and trying and trying and trying. Brother Bram would not. He said, you do not debate the word of God. He said, but Brother Bosworth said, he keeps saying the things that he keeps saying, someone's got to step out and say something. He said, can I go? He said, as long as there's no arguing, no debating, as long as it stays with the scripture, he said, that's fine. You go. He said, I can't, but you go. 
He goes down there. Brother, Brother Bosworth presents his case. And at the same time, this brother had this Dr. Bess had hired two uh, photographers. I always get their names convicted, confused with the funeral home in Manchester, Murfreesboro. But it's something Jennings and I don't remember their name. I don't remember the name. I always, Jennings and Ayers is a funeral home in Murfreesboro, and I always get those names confused. Anyway, they, he had hired this particular stu- Douglas something studios. Douglas something studios. My goodness, I apologize. So he'd hired them to take these pictures of the debate. Now, of the pictures that those two men took, only one developed. All the rest of them were negative and blank. All the rest of them were. Now, there were other newspaper men there. There were other people with cameras there. This is a room of five or 8,000 people filled with people to watch the debate. So there's been, you have your don't believe the sign people that have come out and said, well, look at all these other pictures. He said it wasn't there. But the only ones that these two men took, only one was actually, you actually come out to answer that. He pays these men to do this. Um, he has them in the text. He's picked, he's having them taking pictures. He puts his fist in Brother Bosworth's face and he said, take my picture now. And everything that he'd come out as far as his brother, brother Bosworth would, he said, I asked him all these different questions about the scripture. He keeps coming out. I'll answer that when I get up there. I'll answer that when I get up there. His last thing that he asked him, he said, I'll ask you this last question and then I'll sit down. He said, if you'll answer this, he said, all I want to do is you answer this one question right here. Do the seven compound redemptive names of Jehovah apply to Jesus Christ? And again, he wouldn't answer. But it's the truth. Jehovah Rapha, God the healer, Jehovah Jireh, God the provider, you know, all in Jesus Christ, all wraps up in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> never would answer. So, and all these things, he never, you know, just have just a big, you know, big show. And then he said that um, Brother Bram was asked to come down and close the service in prayer. Now, in different details about that, Brother Branham is sitting in the Sam Houston Auditorium, way up on the shelf, way back up in the back. This place is packed out. Sister Rebecca said she's a young girl sitting on, her, on his knee. She said she was wearing a hat because she'd found some scissors, a little girl, and cut some of her hair off. Interesting little tidbit. She'd got some scissors, did something was wrong. So she's sitting there, and they ask about the prayer. And they ask about command prayer, and his brother sitting beside him, I think it was Doc or Howard, says, don't go. And he said, I'm not going to go. I'm just going to, we'll just, we'll just kind of leave. And, and he kept saying, they asked again. The Holy Spirit said, go. He said, so I get up and go. And brother, whatever, Doc or Howard, whichever one it was, said, he said, what are you doing? He said, he said, go. He said, okay. You stopped arguing. He said, a, a, how did he word that? So many hundred ushers formed a, uh, basically an arm chain all the way down the front. So can you imagine sitting in a place that's shoulder to shoulder to shoulder? And all of a sudden it goes, what would that look like to you? If you're standing there up front and you're standing there, all of a sudden, wait, where's the other? He's up there, all of a sudden he goes like that. That's pretty, that's, that's the Red Sea parting to me right there. Uh, you got all those bodies and not just, oh, I'm sorry, she, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. No, it just goes, <clears throat> comes down. He, you know, he makes a few comments. He goes to pray. And right before he starts to pray, the Holy Spirit, the pillar of fire comes into the room. It circles throughout the room. They're taking pictures. Everybody's seeing it. And it comes up and it settles above his head, right there above his head, that pillar of fire. They take the picture. These two men go back to their, their, uh, their, their photography studios. They're sitting there and they're trying to develop the film, whatever the process of it is. And they, there's a man is sitting there actually smoking a cigarette. The man is sitting there smoking a cigarette, trying to develop these pictures. Uh, he pulls one up, it's blank. Pulls another one up, blank. Another one up, blank. And then pulls one up, and it's that picture right there. It's the only one that made it. These are professional men. This isn't like, oh, I forgot to take my cap off, my camera cap off. No, these men do this for a living. 
So immediately they call to, uh, I don't know how they found out about George Lacey. I can't remember that story there, but George Lacey was an authenticator of, um, of documents that worked for the FBI. I'm not sure if a subcontractor or what it was, but he did this specifically for the FBI through, uh, for fraud, for anything like that, you know, like for fake checks, fake art, fake things like that. They had him examine it. He examines it. They have a press conference. He goes down there and he makes this statement. He said, he signs his name to it. He said, never before in human history has there ever been any supernatural photograph taken he said until now right there that's the only one that's authenticated and vindicated in existence right there I, I don't know what else to be said about that you know how many people don't believe that it, it's unbelievable so things that I've heard in my life different testimonies and, and I love it there's um, and I'd heard it before but I never heard it on tape until just the last year or so I had heard in my life and I'll just show you what Brother Ram says. He said there was a woman that had been in a hospital, and like I said, she was dying of whatever the disease was. I had to look at the table to see exactly what she was dying of. She's laying there, and for some reason, someone had brought that picture and just set it on the, on the nightstand in the room or whatever it was, and she was praying, Lord, I'm about to die. She said, would you, I believe that that's the same God, that that's you, that picture of that fire, not the man, but the fire, that that's the same pillar of fire that led the children of Israel through the wilderness. That's the same pillar of fire that met Saul on the road to Damascus. That's the same one. I believe that you can heal me. Her testimony, her testimony was it come off the picture, swept over her body, and she walked out and went home that night. That's supernatural. Now, that's covered that one. We have the picture of the cloud, the, the, the pillar of fire on his shoulder. She showed you that just a minute ago. Let's jump to the February 28, 1963 picture. This next picture was taken, and this was, um, for those who don't know, that for the pastor appreciation, they bought me uh, that actual copy of the May, 20, May 17th issue, 1963, of Life magazine, where this picture was featured. It was one of the magazines it was featured in. Featured in. It was featured in Science magazine. It was featured, I think, in Look magazine. It was featured in Life magazine and a couple other different things. One of those on there says which it is. That's the actual picture right there. Now, say again. Of the magazine, yes, the picture of the magazine, of the picture, that picture, and I, I've got the magazine at home, I can show you, it's, it's really cool to see. Now, if you look at that, and you actually, if you turn it clockwise, which you can't, but it's a pyramid. It's a pyramid. It would fit right on top of, is a capstone. It would fit. The capstone, the headstone, coming down, Revelations 10, 1, that's nothing but the truth i can't make you believe it but that's nothing but the truth so as far as revelation 10 1 a mighty angel come down now leave that picture up just for me just a minute now you've got your bibles out we just quoted to you out of revelation chapter 10 verse 1 and it's talking about this mighty angel and what's so particular of note about this mighty angel that he's clothed with the cloud he's clothed with a cloud and and here's where most people struggle that on february 28th with random was in I remember what city. There was a man, actually, interesting, the, the, the son of, I think, Mr. Douglas, or whoever it was that took that picture there in 1950, his son had been either in a, it had been either him and this other girl, another guy had, had, had I don't know, how do, you, how do you say that? Had a, um, they had performed a robbery, they had instigated, they had committed, committed a robbery. They committed a robbery, and I think someone had ki- would have been killed, so he was actually on trial. Uh, they're going to put him on to death row. They're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. 
So this man who had been a big critic of Brother Branham, he actually worked for Dr. Best, who was a critic of Brother Branham. He reached out to Brother Branham and said, will you please, Houston, it was Houston. He said, will you please come to Houston and testify on the behalf of my son so they at least don't kill him. Brother Branham drives from Jeffersonville, Indiana, all the way to Houston, Texas, to testify on behalf of someone that was a very extreme critic of him. And they actually got him to just life in prison. Brother Branham taught, he said, we have no right to take a man's life. He said, that is completely against Scripture. You have no right. He said, God is the judge. God is the one that does that. You have no, the Bible teaches that. You have no right. War is different, I understand, but we have no right as far as that God is judge. So <clears throat> he was there. Now, he wasn't actually up there hunting until seven or eight days later. That's almost a perfect type of Moses when saw the cloud upon the mountain. We just talked about a mountain. The cloud upon a mountain, and eight days later, Moses went up. God said, come up, and that's where he got the Ten Commandments. They saw the cloud. Eight days later, he went up, and he was in the cloud with it. He caught up with it. He comes back with the Ten Commandments. So this one with a cloud over his head. Revelations 1 shows the Lord Jesus standing amongst seven candlesticks and has seven stars in his hand. And I can't remember exactly, is it Revelations 5 that talks about the seven spirits of God? The seven spirits of God. That's not a seven split personality. That's not uh, whatever you want to call that, multiple personality syndrome. That is an attribute of each character. The amount of light to be given to a certain time or an age. Now, what we was talking about here recently about that the day of, um, of intercession for ignorance is over. And the reason why that it's open over is because the truth has been revealed. We've read all these scriptures talking about you not being confounded. You're not looking at the scripture going... I'm confounded. You're not with the, the same testimony that Paul would have. Paul, years later, on the light of God that he had for his day, stepped back and said, I see him as in a glass darkly. And as a glass darkly, if um, you had someone standing on the other side of a door with light and you couldn't see through the door, you can say, I see a silhouette. I see the man's about this tall. He look, his head could be about this big, but you can't make out any detail. You can't make out detail, but once you see him face to face, you can make out detail. If someone's standing this close, you can give detail. Is that too plain? When we see him face to face, when the day star is risen with healing in his wings and you live in the light of his presence and you see him face to face, which is also a mirror because you see yourself, you see what he comes to do. See, redemption has two parts, a coming out of and going into. Coming out of whatever you were in and going into where you belong. We, talk, we covered that Sunday. Uh, anything out there, is, you're an impersonator. Anything out there, you're a make-believer. If you're smoking, if you're drinking, if you're uh, obsessed with all these things, you're impersonating a member of this world. If you're hooked on basketball, baseball, football, hockey, if you're hooked on video games, if you're hooked on pornography, if you, all these things, you're impersonating a member of this world. We just read the scripture, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because your renewed mind says, I don't come from here, I don't belong here, I belong there. So I'm actually impersonating them which, why would I want to impersonate a pig? Jesus talked about a dog back to his vomit, a pig back to his waller. I ain't a pig. I belong in heavenly places. Not by my works, but by his works. 
So this one that come down clothed with a cloud and a rainbow upon his head, in that same picture, which I don't know that we have the ability to show it, but the page directly behind it is another phenomenon, which again, just to point that out, go all you can see which one's clear. You see three dots, top left-hand corner, dot, 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 and a high cloud ring of mystery. Dot, dot, dot. That's telling you, carrying the thought straight through. So if you flip to the next page back, it tells you about a phenomenon that was photographed in Hawaii called a moon rainbow, which are so exceptionally rare, a moon rainbow, and it's photographed, and it's put in Life magazine for the May 17, 1963 issue, and it's on the exact, if this picture's here, it's on this side of the picture, and if you hold it up to the light, like this, just as plain as can be, you see a rainbow above his head. I can show you on Life magazine. A pretty good coincidence. For those of you that believe in coincidence, ah, it's just a coincidence. I believe God will vindicate his word. I believe God can make man do whatever he wants to, to prove God's word. I believe God make his enemy prove God's word. However you want to classify that. Well, that guy wasn't a Christian. I don't know what he was, but God vindicates his word. He had a rainbow up on his head, and his face were as it were the sun. His face was shining so bright, and his feet as pillars of fire. He had in his hand a little book open. He set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Now, this is very particular again. See, we've covered this a lot about how footsteps denote possession. The Bible says the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Now, if the one that has ordered your footsteps created every molecule fiber of dust that you put them on, that he's telling you, that's yours, that's yours, that's yours, that's yours. Just real simple and real plain to you. You know, we, we've been covering that back in Exodus. There in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter, well, chapter 4 and chapter 4 or 5, you read 4. God tells Moses to go in there and tell Egypt, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He goes down there and after a couple times, Pharaoh starts making his boast, I will not let them go. I will not let them go. You understand it. Can you imagine really blustered up, his face all mad. He finally getting head up enough. And he's like, I'm telling you, I ain't letting them go. The next thing you do, you find God speaking to Moses, and he's running through genealogies. Adam begets Seth. Seth begets Enos. Walking down, walking down. Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. Jacob begets all that down. You know what he's doing? He's showing possession. Possession. You will let them go. They belong to me. And he's proving it to you. Okay. You're, okay, here's what. You're going to let them go. 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 You're going to let them You're going to let them go. They belong to me. Isn't that amazing? He's not just coincidentally, oh man, what's he going on again about generation? The genealogy make my head hurt sometimes. And he caught running through genealogy. That's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. And if you were to extend that out to this day, you'd see your name wrote on there. That's she's mine, he's mine, that belongs to me. I bought them with my blood. That's mine. Praise the Lord. Now, he put his right foot upon the sea, his left foot upon the earth. Now, if you moved over to Revelation chapter 13, it starts talking about those two beasts. Now, the prophet told us that Revelation chapter 13 tells you about what America is. America is that beast that rises up out of the land. 
So I got that right. So you have the beast out of the sea, which is the Catholic Church, has ten horns, ten heads. She sits on ten hills there in the city there in Italy. And then you have that beast out of the sea. Then you have the beast up out of the earth. You have the two great beasts out of Revelation chapter 13, one that rises out of America, one that rises out of the earth. And you have them described as a great beast. But here you have this one comes down and puts his foot up on both of them. Oh, it's such a great beast. It has all this power, has all this authority, and they're just the biggest and the baddest can do whatever they want, whenever they want, and however they want, yet someone comes along and does that conversation's over. There's no more arguing. There's no more debating. It's over. You're all big and bad until the big one shows up, and then it's over. And then he starts to cry as when a lion roareth. Now, John has done made it very, very clear, and I'm running out of time. I apologize. I know it's Wednesday night. John has done made it very, very clear who that lion is. He said, I was told to look because there was no one that was worthy. And under earth, on the earth, around the earth, behind the earth, next door to the earth, three miles down away from the earth, on another side, no one was worthy anywhere to be found. But he said, turn and look. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. I turned and looked and saw a lamb. It looked like it had been slain before the foundation of the world. Every single period in the word of God means something to you. Every single period, every single hyphen, semicolon, dash, question mark, exclamation point is talking to you. As you're walking through that, John is finding there's no one worthy. This just kind of happened. We don't know what to do. And right there, the scripture said, no, 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 no. Before the foundation of the world, he had a plan to redeem you. Always did. And the scripture says, I'll make it plain, I'll make it plain, I'll prove it, I'll prove it, I'll prove it, I'll prove it. Even in redemption, he proves it before the foundation of the world. He didn't happen that with Adam and Eve and the serpent just stepped back and said, I don't know what to do. Trying to take counsel, I don't know what to do. Who can, who, no, I got a plan. This will work out. A lion roared, seven thunders uttered their voices. Was about to write. Was about to write. Turn back to Exodus chapter four. We'll kind of just stop right there. I know it's a Wednesday night, and I apologize for keeping you so late. Now, if you started a study, just kind of just looking in the Scripture and looking at different definitions, I would suggest you to just to pick the word rod or stave or staff and see how each of those three are all the same thing, rod, stave, or staff, and the way that God uses a rod, stave, or a staff whether it be for measurement, whether it be for carrying the word, whether it means oh, what are leading, whatever it might be, the rod, the stave, the staff, the, the, the same staves that were put into the ark that were meant to carry the word of God. It was dipped in gold, which meant deity, which gold is, represents deity, which means godly, divine property. Property. So if you had... Uh, me being a carpenter, I use this for an example. So, say for example, there was a uh, very famous, very famous, just uh, you know, the greatest carpenter there's ever ever been. I mean, this guy could had every combination, every hip valley, every rafter angle, every degree, all these things so memorized, and he just built all these perfect, perfect things. And and yet somehow I was able to inherit his specifically designed speed square, or or rafter square, or tri square, or combination square, all those different things. And and I was walking around, and look what I got. Look what this thing, it, oh, it's well used, yes, but man, it's done a good job all the time it's been used. And now maybe if I only can do 10%, if I can only do 10% what he did with it, come on, come on now, if I can only do 10% with what he did with it, 
Maybe I'll quote this to you again. It's the rising of the sun. That there will be a message that comes out of dark denominationalism, a message that the full maturity of the word is turned back again to its full power. Dark denominationalism, that 10-7, Malachi 4-5, Zechariah 4, Luke 10-17, Luke 17-30, all those different things. Uh, the, the creation, the creator has turned back again and he said, you have access. And, and you think about that. What if you can only do 10%? What if you can only do 1%? What if you could only do 1% of the one that created the heavens and the earth? One percent. Exodus chapter four. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, Who's they? His people. His kinfred, his kin, uh, kin, kinsfolk, his, the natives, all the people from his area. They will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Well, let me ask you this, you now personally. What are we? I, I came here, I got to get the exact date tattooed to my eyelid or something. What's the 4,500 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 3,500 years, somewhere in that area, exactly when this conversation happened? Let's say 3,500 years ago for sake of argument. You weren't there. Anybody was there when the, the burning bush happened? Moses walked up there out of the median. Anybody was there? Nobody? Do you believe it happened? But you weren't there. You didn't see it. You didn't smell it. You didn't taste it. You didn't touch it. You didn't feel it. You didn't reason with it. None of those things. You were not there. Why do you believe it? It's just fantastic. This is super. I mean, this is paradoxical. This is, this is, you, most of the, the scientific world will say it's science fiction. It cannot happen. That a, that a bush would burn and not burn up and not be destroyed. It's not possible. Why would you believe something that happened 3,500 years ago that you were not there to see? Why would you believe this happened? Moses is asking God. You know, this is pretty fresh. He's like, you know, by the time he gets there, it's what, a few days later, maybe a week later. I just want to tell you, four days ago, I was up on that mountain. You can see it way over there, and there was a bush that burned without fire. It never burned down, and God spoke to me. No way. He's telling them they're not going to believe me. They will not believe me. And now here you are 3,500 years ago later, and you believe him? Moses said they will not believe him. They will tell him, the Lord has not appeared unto thee. You know how, people that, how many people that claim to be Christians that say this whole thing is nothing but a myth? That so many of these things are just allegories, that they're just supposition, they're just you know, fantasies, and other stuff actually happened, but yet they still want you to think they're a Christian. And that's a small uh, marginal portion that you would say, okay, that's obviously, they're obviously not a Christian because the Christians believe the word to be Christ-like. But what about other people that are a little bit higher up that, that you would say, well, they're a Christian, but they still struggle with what the word says. Well, I don't really believe that. I don't really believe that. I don't really believe that. Are they still a Christian? They're struggling with the word? He said, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Is what they will say to me. The Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. Not a very long conversation. That's almost to the, that's almost to the same thing as going, Ugh. a rod. It's about that tall, about that big around. Just something that he picked up off the desert floor. Just your everyday, ordinary old piece of tree limb laying off somewhere that he just, maybe, you know, maybe that he was walking along somewhere and slipped and lost his balance and he grabbed it just laying there to help to walk with a little bit. He was 80 years old, you know, and he maybe was using that to walk around with. Just, can you imagine maybe where he picked it up at? What a coincidence that was. 
just coincidentally picked up that rod, that big, that size, that circumference that just had been hiding a snake inside of it all that time. I don't believe in coincidences. What is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Moses fled from before it. Moses got scared. I'm scared of snakes. I don't like snakes coming at me. I especially don't like snakes when I'm on fat of my belly, crawling up in some bushes and they're at my face. That really makes me uncomfortable. But he, he, he cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses fled from before it. Now, I don't think that was a little Bill Gardner snake. I bet it's probably a big, big snake. So how far can you let your imagination go? How big was it? At least. At least. Who made this snake? So what size of, what size of snake can he make? As big as he wants. Okay, because he, he eats other snakes later, swallows them right up, stays the same size. That's a pretty good diet plan. Eat all you want, stay the same size. He said, what's that in thine hand? He said, a rod. He cast it on the ground, cast, and he, God said, cast it on the ground, and Moses cast it on the ground. He became a serpent. Moses fled from before. The Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand, take it by the tail. He put forth his hand, and he caught him, and it became a rod in his hand. Verse 5. This is God's way of doing things so that his people will believe Moses. This is God's, this wasn't Moses saying, you know, if we could maybe, I don't know, how good are you at turning, you know, sticks into snakes? That might make him work. It ain't no brainstorming. God said, you do this. You take your, what's this in your hand? God ain't wondering, what you got in his hand? It's like, I, he knew what was in his hand. But it's all these things so you understand. The conversation, this depiction wouldn't go so great years later. Oh, that's in your hand. You're like, well, I wish I had more detail. No, it's just detail. What's that in your hand? Oh, it's this in my hand. Well, I know you had it in your hand, but for writing it down, everybody else needs to know. They weren't there. Cast it on the ground. This happens. He said, catch it by the tail. This happens. It became a rod again in his hand. Verse 5, the reason for all of that, not a magic show, not a trick, a creative paradox from one thing to another thing, from a dried up piece of wood to a living, breathing reptile slithering, snaking across the ground in a moment, back in a moment, a translation, a, 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 a tra- whatever words you want to, I'm running out of words here. It went from one thing to another thing. The atoms of the tree was changed to the atoms of a snake, just like that, and then back from the atoms of a snake to the atoms of a rod, just like that. And we wonder, can he change our bodies? He does it all the time. He's good at his job. He got lots of experience. He's proven it to you, right? Lots of experience. He did this, this particular act. He did this particular act that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. He's like, we're going to do all of this and this and this and this and this and this, and your people will believe. Okay. Moses, that sounds great. You still sure they'll believe me? Well, let's try something else. Let's do this. The Lord said, furthermore unto him, furthermore, put now thine hand into thy bosom. He put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. Now, again, 3,500 years later, still no cure for leprosy. If you're hanging out somewhere, somebody puts their hand in the thing, they come back out, and it's leprosy, everybody's going to run because there's no cure for it. I just chopped that hand off. That's probably your best bet. There's no cure for it. It's going to spread. It's going to take everything off. You're going to die from leprosy. It's serious. We think, ah, oh, no big deal. God heals leprosy. He does. But think about what this means to someone that don't know him as a healer. You put it here. It's this. Now put it back. It's this. 
He said he put his hand in his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, put thine hand in thy bosom again. He put his hand in his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And now it's plucked out. I, I imagine he was very curious to see what happened this time. Yeah, it was, oh, wow, oh, thank God. He's like, you're welcome. What a mighty God. He said, behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. Turned right back. So we now have death. Death, fine hand, it's fine. He puts it here, he pulls it out, it's death. It's nothing but death. It's certain, sure death. You understand? Leprosy is death. It's death, it's dead. And he sows him. Now, I can put the death there, there's death. Now put it back, no more death. Changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Changed. I told you he's good at this. And it shall come to pass, these are two signs, serpent, hand in the chest, we'll give the leprous. And it shall come to pass that they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice, hearken to the voice of the first sign. He didn't say, if hearken to your voice when you tell them about the sign. Moses didn't do it. Moses didn't turn that rod into a snake. God did that. Who's the voice behind Moses? Who's the voice of the sign? If it comes to pass, they will not believe thee, neither hearken the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe, also these two signs, the first two pulls, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river, pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Now, why is this of particular importance? You have the birth Water, blood, spirit. Natural birth, water, blood, spirit. He does those things. Not natural selection. This is creation. Water, blood, spirit. Natural birth. Spiritual birth. You have water, baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have blood, washing the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have baptism, indwelt by the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the fire of the Lord Jesus Christ. All these things are done by no one else but the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you have the most beautiful, uh, well, the most useful river around, the, the, the Jordan River coming through there. It is the Jordan, right? Okay, coming through there, it's clear as can be. Now, you're going to dip in that water. You're, you're going to take your hand and dip in that water, and what you pull out will no longer be clear. Now it's going to be blood. Going from water to blood. Now we're at two stages. Going from water to blood. Changing that life-giving resource from what they normally needed. You can't drink blood for it to help you. For you to get blood, you've got to be put in your veins and work a different way, but, but you can't drink the blood. It's taking from what was drinkable and usable and turning it to that next substance. It went from a H2O molecule to whatever that molecule is, whatever blood makes up to be. That's a change on an atomic level. Is that, is that simple? Very, very simple. Change on an atomic level. And he did it as a sign. He did it as a sign. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore, since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech, and I'm of a slow tongue. The Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? You know, Moses gives his excuses. I stutter. I stammer, 
I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm all these, I got all these excuses. You remember the, and we'll get to it eventually, in the, the, the marriage supper where the, the servants were bid to come to the marriage supper. He told his servants, the, the, the master said, go to my servants, tell them to come to the banquet. Come to the banquet. He goes out to his servants and they tell him, well, I got married and I got to do that. Uh, I bought a property. I got to look at that. I bought a new mule. I got to look at all these excuses. All these excuses to tell him no. I won't go. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then he's told to go get all the sick, the lame, and the halt. Bring them in so there'd be people in my house. He goes and gets it. The servants come back and said, we've done all those things, and there's still room left. He said, go in the highways and the hedges, and you compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. Mark 16, go in all the world and preach the gospel. You. There's another place. You write your name in there to do these things for God. At the very least, as a reasonable service to be a light and a witness to him. At the very least. Now, in Satan's excuse was you're busy with this, you are busy with this, you're distracted with this, but you're always meant to shine the light of God in every second of your life. Again, washing clothes, cleaning the bathroom, cleaning the laundry room, cleaning your car, working at job, all these different things to be shining the light of Christ. Moses is standing here just like we had before in our flesh. I can't do that. I stammer. I stumble. All these things, I can't, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. God had enough. Are you glad God has enough sometimes where, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. You're mine. You're going to do what I want. And you always step back after and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm so much happier now. I'm so much happier now. My life is so much better serving him. My life is so much better doing his purpose. My life is so much better with him in my life. Let's all stand to our feet tonight. <clears throat> he said, who has made man's mouth? The musicians have come. Who make... Who make the, the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth. Teach thee that what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send I pray thee. Let's sing that song, All Lord God. Send, he said, O my Lord, send I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. You have one man that's trying to work himself out of it, trying to give every excuse he can to not do what God wants him to do. And he's telling him, just stop. Your life is about to be better. You're about to fulfill the attribute of God for your life. And your brother's coming as well. And it's going to bless him too by your testimony. You ever been there before? You glad for the Lord's mercy to you? I'm seeking a Lord God. Oh, thou hast made the heavens and the earth. By thy great power. Oh, our Lord God. and the earth by thy great power. 
we love you, Lord Jesus. We appreciate your word. We appreciate your presence, Lord. We appreciate your Holy Ghost uh, taking quick in these words and this through our lives, Lord, to bring us more alive. To, to be confirmed in our hearts, Lord, to be even more sure in our hearts and our lives and our spirits, Lord, your plan for us. We know without the shadow of a doubt that over and over and over you've done this so many times. It is nothing that's too hard for you. Lord, and it's not just the, the, the exact initial moment to where we're gone, Lord, but it's everything up till that point. All the times you provide for us where there seems to be no way. All the times you've touched our bodies and healed us when it seemed we couldn't get no better. All the times that you've lifted our spirits up out of the muck and mire of this life. All the times that you stepped in and made a difference. Oh, we appreciate that resurrection. We appreciate all those moves of you in our life, Lord, keeping us alive and staying us, Lord. Oh, we love you so much. We appreciate your grace and mercy. Bless our brothers and sisters as we go our separate ways. Lord, bring us back here Saturday night, Lord, with even more of a uh, hunger and desire for a closer walk, for more of you, to uh, a burning uh, desire to see you move in the service, Lord. Help us, we pray. Bless those meetings, Lord God. I pray you bless our brother. Give him strength, Lord. Speak through him to our hearts, to my heart, Lord. I want to be near him. Have your way in our lives, Lord. In your precious and lovely name, amen. Oh, nothing is too difficult for thee. I know that nothing is too difficult for thee. Oh, oh great and mighty God. Great and count so mighty indeed.